I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 183 of the Intercooler podcast with me, Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel, my co-host. This week we're talking about winter cars, the best winter cars um, at different budgets. So we start with a very, very modest budget, a thousand pounds, and then we go all the way out to a hundred grand and actually over a hundred grand because we couldn't resist. Um, And we talk about what exactly is it that makes a car a good winter car or a bad winter car. We've tried to come up with some sensible suggestions, but also a handful of slightly daft suggestions. Um, Before we get started, I will just remind you all to rate and review the podcast. Please give us a glowing review and a five-star rating. It really helps. And while you're doing it, just hit the follow button or the subscribe button. Um, Thank you ever so much for doing that. And thank you for listening and enjoy the episode. We are talking winter cars this week. And the the cars we would choose to drive through winter at different price points. Briefly, though, we're just going to touch on the US Grand Prix in Austin, aren't we? Because um, it, it was a, a fairly sort of absorbing race, but I think there were a handful of interesting themes going on. Um, yeah. Has the, I mean, the order hasn't been shaken up, but have Mercedes edged towards that Red Bull, do you think? Definitely, yeah. I've also figured out how to completely even the gap between Red Bull and all the other and the rest of the cars on the grid make the red bull drive on over the winter well no well the, uh, well yeah, alternatively over the winter just resurface all the tracks yes yeah and make them really bumpy because mm. it's not that it's not that great okay this wasn't um you know the bumpiest circuit it wasn't as bumpy as where was where do they really struggle singapore mm. um yeah true but i mean it was it was you know what it was actually nice having hearing Max a bit sort of flustered and a bit stressed and mm. um, having to sort of work. And, and, and actually, I think what it does show is just just how much he's been in cruise and collect all, all, all year, really. It does, yeah. It was great to see him cross the line, take the flag, and have a car two seconds behind him. 
Um, yeah. and, and not because the field was compressed with a late safety car or whatever. There was a car. No, exactly. there, yeah, there were no safety cars, were there? Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I put a little poll, actually. Um, and I think most people, although not by a big majority, think that Max was really pushed. I think that he was just looking after the car in those last few laps. And I mm. think that if I think if Lewis got anywhere near sort of DRS, I think Max would have just... You know, I think he just he just wanted to keep something in the tank, um, but even so, it was good and it was let and it was. Just, and I was very sorry that um, that Lewis got disqualified through clearly absolutely no fault yeah. of his own. Um, but I mean, but then again, I think you know, I think they will come away happy, happy that this new floor of theirs has made. Clear, I think it's made a big step actually. Mm. Um, the, the only slightly peculiar thing is is George, who, as people listen to this podcast, will know I'm a big fan of. Um, he was kind of nowhere all weekend, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. <clears throat> he was totally he was all, off the he, pace. Was, he, he was almost sort of Checo to Lewis. Um, mm. You know the way that you know Perez is to, to Verstappen. He just he just wasn't there, was he? Um, yeah. So Lewis disqualified um, for it was too much wear on the um, on the underside of the car on the plank, wasn't it? Um, which yeah. suggests that. They were running the car fractionally too low, maybe. But Mercedes has said, well, it's a very bumpy track. There was only one um, practice session. So th- th- perhaps they were, to some degree, mitigating circumstances. Yeah, I mean, ultimately... Yeah, but as somebody said, as somebody said on Twitter, you know, um, eight of the ten teams didn't find it a problem. Yeah, they only tested four cars. And the curious thing is, they checked Lewis's car, found that he contravened the regs and they didn't check George's nor did they check Carlos Sainz's because Leclerc as we know was also excluded did they check did they presumably they would have tested Max's I think they, I think they tested the top the winner, four I think they test the top four yeah okay yeah. oh well then well, that, I mean, that would explain why um, yeah hang on but hang on Carlos finished ahead of Leclerc didn't they didn't he um, yes he did yeah but he was um, he was off the podium wasn't he he finished fourth but the, the McLaren was clearly fine because Lando finished third promoted to second so yeah I mean some of the teams yeah. were clearly fine um, but who knows maybe maybe half the cars on the grid were contravening the rules yesterday um, and yeah. we'll never know but the, ultimately yeah from a Mercedes Hamilton point of view it, it doesn't really matter I mean we, we the, the fans of Lewis want to see him beat Checo to second in the title in the championship fight but yeah well that took a big really step matter. back didn't it it? Did. it did and it doesn't really matter no one's going to be leaping up and down for Lewis finishing second in the championship and yeah I don't think it's I mean, too big yeah, a deal. look back over history and honestly tell me who came second in almost any championship yeah no one cares do um, it doesn't matter no one cares it doesn't matter I mean I get, it probably matters financially certainly the constructors it matters enormously to mm. the teams Mm. Um, because that's just money, isn't it? But otherwise, yeah, as you absolutely say, who cares? First loser, the yeah. man is it. And actually, more important is if Mercedes really have taken a step forward. That's more important than a few points on the board, isn't it? From a, certainly from the Lewis's point of view. Um, yeah. So roll it's, interesting, it's interesting, though. I mean, given the the championship has gone, mm. yeah, I'll be very Machiavellian here. Um, so there really is nothing to fight for. Um, I guess, yeah, no, well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess they want to come, what can they do? Can they come, yeah, they want to be second in the constructors, mm. don't they? I'm saying I guess it, yeah. that, that there is that to fight for. But I wouldn't necessarily have made such a big fuss about that floor or the big upgrade or the big improvement because all you're doing is putting Red Bull on notice that mm. they might have a bit more of a fight on their hands next year than they're expecting. It's sort of prodding the bear, isn't it? 
A little bit. Um, I'd have kept quite. I, 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 you know, I, 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 well, I'm, I'm sure the far more intelligent, informed brains than mine um, decided what to do and how to do it. Um, but if you've got something which does seem to me to be a big step, and maybe there are other big steps they are keeping quiet about. I don't know. Um, given the championship is gone, I might have just kept that under my hat until next mm. year. Mm. Oh, let's just hope next year is much more competitive. I'm sort of craving a competitive F1 season. Yeah, and I thought, can I give just a quick, quick shout out? I mean, he got driver of the day. I'm not sure he should have got it, but I did think that Lando, I mean, you know, the, the, for a while, he probably, you know, he could have had the quickest car out there. Um, mm. It's just the, and we see this, don't we, time and time again. You can build a car that might be as quick as a Red Bull mm. over a lap. Might be as quick as a Red Bull over 10 laps. Mm. But not 20. It's not enough. And the moment those tyres go into that degradation... I mean, Lando, well, he did he double-stopped, didn't he? Um, and at the beginning of all three stints, he was really quick. And by the end of the, each stint, he was really slow. It's such a double-edged sword, that, isn't it? Being light, being gentle on your tyres. Because at cooler races, yeah. you have such trouble firing them up. And in qualifying, yeah. one warm-up lap might not be enough to get your tyres in the, in the zone. It's, but that's where the Red Bull is just magic. That, 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 that is the witchcraft of the, yeah. of the Red Bull, isn't it? Unbelievable. Yeah. It is just staggering. Anyway. Okay, well, that's enough F1. Uh, winter cars. Different budgets. Winter cars. But first of all, we yes. need to just quickly define a couple of things. Winter. We're not talking Alaska here, are we? We're not talking minus no. 20, 30 degrees, or even northern Europe. Snow. We're talking, certainly in my mind, we're talking an average British winter. So not a mild one. Um, not a totally sort of anomalous one. Um, with, I, I'm imagining a kind of mix of weather. Icy, frosty mornings, some snow, lots and lots of rain, filthy yeah. roads, crap um, on the roads, crap on the roads, leaves. It's dark, slippery. It's miserable. Yeah, and you want a car that makes all of that okay. Yeah, and occasionally, and you know, let's not forget that people buy cars, and they absolutely do. For usage scenarios, they don't expect ever to be in, um, or even usage scenarios they expect to be in very, very rarely. It's why you know Audi TTs outsell Porsche Caymans because they got rear seats, um, mm. and it's why people never take their Range Rovers off roads. Nevertheless, I think when we are talking about these winter cars, we have to at least keep in the back of our mind because they do happen. Certainly around where I live, uh, every so often you'll get a proper winter. Yeah. And, and if you want to keep moving, you need the equipment to do the job. Mm. So I think we just need to keep bear that in mind um, as we go through this. So what are the sort of attributes then of a, a good winter car for you? I mean, clearly grip and traction are important, but that might be more down to the tyres than the, the car itself. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, jobs one, two and three are tyres. Mm. Um I mean, we'll come on to this in a minute, I'm sure, when we start, start talking about what you spend a £1,000 on. But, yeah. um, I mean, you need, you, you need to be able to see, you need visibility. You want, you know, you want a car that's, um, you know, it's got, you know, it's, it's basic stuff. It's like sort of decent headlights um, mm. and maybe some, you know, some good safety systems and, and all that sort of thing. And, you know, and certainly the cars on my list, you know, very few of them, in fact, probably none of them are actually new. Um, mm. So this is going to be cars that you can buy on a budget but also just cars that are i mean certainly when the going gets really tough um people think oh i just want the you know the biggest heaviest thing i can get it's actually no to some extent not what you want mm. um you want something that is light and nimble and, and and that's the problem with 
and I guess one of the reasons we're doing this podcast is there is a trade-off isn't there between cars that are absolutely technically at their best in bad weather and the sort of cars that you feel you you feel most um secure and at home in in those sort of conditions even if Mm. it might be something of an illusion Mm. that's true i uh, to build on that i also want you're right you big and heavy isn't necessarily the way but certainly a substantial car i know there are people who use their caterings and their releases through winter that's not me i'm not up for that i want a bit more comfort (laughs) i want a bit more comfort i want maybe heated seats i want Certainly for a proper rotten British winter's day, I want ride quality, I want stability. I'm not looking for edgy handling balance and adjustability on the limit. No, I mean, your, your, your brain goes into a completely different mode, doesn't yeah. it? It sort of goes into sort of almost sort of survival mode. You want yeah. to be, you want to feel safe and you want to be, you know, warm. You want to sort of hunt it down, don't you, for winter? Shout out for seat heaters. Yes. Oh, um, yeah. Every so often, um, I'll, you know, in the middle of winter, a car will turn up. Um, and it will be specked up the wazoo, but someone's forgotten to tip the seat into the box, and I'm just thinking, oh, really? What have you done? <laughs> I'm... I, had a, I, had an, I had an Audi TTS convertible spider thing in one of those sort of last edition things in a week or two ago, um, and I sort of looked around, and it didn't have seat heaters, and mm. I was so annoyed. <laughs> um, but, not, but nothing like as annoyed as I was on the day it was going back. When the bloke came to collect it, and I was just sitting there, um, you know, just going through it with him and that sort of thing, and I suddenly saw on one of the vents a button with a seat heater mm, thing in the middle of it. Yeah, they're hidden in the button. It did have <laughs> bloody seat heaters, and I couldn't find them. So it was entirely my fault. And oh, I thought dear. I'd been going around with a, you know, a frozen backside for the last week, and there was no need. And you need so it done. Um, okay, so final thoughts on this before we get stuck in. In the middle of winter, I'm probably not getting up early for a solo drive. I'm probably not going to do that. I, for me, that can wait until spring. So I don't need a thrilling engine, a great soundtrack. Um, I'm yeah. not too worried about how crisp the steering is, all that road tester stuff. Um, my priorities change. Um, and, you know, even down to the details, range becomes important because I don't want to be standing at the petrol station in a chilly breeze for Dark, three, four raining. minutes all the time. Yeah, I don't want to be doing that. So if I can have 800 miles between Phillips, great. Um, however... And this is the important point for me. We, all those attributes, they matter. But these cars, they still need to tickle the enthusiast in you. Uh, do they? Ah, Interesting. I, I'm saying the car enthusiast, not necessarily the driving enthusiast. Yeah, I mean, certainly. Okay, there is one car on my list, which there's literally a car on my list, which, would, which you would identify as being uh, an enthusiast's car. Okay. <laughs> but I, okay when i say enthusiast car i mean it it has to be interesting in some way it doesn't have to be a great driver's car just interesting in some way rather than completely boring it, it certainly can't be unpleasant in any way because that would just annoy you and that's the yes. last thing you okay. need when you're already more than annoyed with the fact that you're cold and wet and it's dark and everything else so you need you certainly need a car which you can just get into and still feel at home in where everything is where you want it to be and it drives it responds well. Mm. It's not a car that you have to kind of second guess where it's going to be every time you turn the wheel. It's going to do what you want it to do, and it's going to be, it's going to be satisfying to drive, if not actively fun. That yeah. is, you're absolutely right. That is, that I is important. That. Because, um, you know... Sorry, go on. One last question before we start with our 1,000-pound yeah. cars. Have you got any two-wheel drive cars on your list? Don't, don't say what they are. I've got, I, 
uh, I have certainly cars on my list that could be two-wheel okay. drive. Okay. Um, but, but, but okay, well, we're going to talk about this very shortly. I think that there is an argument for... Well, yeah, there is an argument for two-wheel drive, um, but it doesn't preclude the argument for four-wheel drive. Okay. Fine. All right. That's enough build-up. £1,000... Um, yeah. What, what were you? Did you? Were you finding plenty of stuff that you thought fit the bill, or were you sort of scraping no. the barrel? No, I absolutely wasn't. And, I, and at the end of it, do you know what I concluded? If I had a thousand pounds to spend um, on a winter car, I would buy, I would buy myself the best set of winter tires for whatever my <laughs> yes. daily driver was. That's probably right. Yeah, and stick your summer tires. Um, well, because, you've got because, space, you but... because all the sorts, all the sorts of things that we're going to talk about in the sub five thousand pound mm. category, um, where there's plenty. You just can't get one for that kind of money. Or if you can, it's going to be a bloody nightmare. And the last thing you want on those cold, wet, dark days is getting in the car and not really knowing whether it's going to get you where you, where you want to go. Oh, God. Um, so yeah. so I, 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 I kind of drew a blank. And I just thought, I mean, can I, can I just do a little bit on the winter tyre argument? Um, I did a job years ago for Autocar where we took two Skoda Yetis um, absolutely identical car, same engine, same everything, uh, apart from one was four-wheel drive, one was front-wheel drive. And so we left the four-wheel drive car on its summer tyres and we put the front-wheel drive car on winter tyres. And we went down to a test track, which rather conveniently had had a light dusting of snow. And we did a load of tests. And oh my goodness. Mm. If ever you wanted to be convinced of the merits of winter tyres, you should have just been there. I mean, the four-wheel drive car was left completely floundering apart the only thing it could do was which the better than the two-wheel drive car was gain speed yeah yeah all it had was traction it could accelerate better but in terms of braking the stuff actually that you really worry about the stuff that you really need a car to do braking ability and the ability to not fall off a road when you go around a corner the two-wheel drive car on winter tires was I mean, just postcodes better. Mm. I mean, I can't remember what the distances were. The braking tests were absolutely terrifying. It was like a football pitch um, difference between the two. So if you've got a thousand pounds to spend on a winter on a winter car, do yourself a favour. Don't go and buy a shonky old unreliable bucket of bolts. Get yourself some decent rubber. Talking of shonky unreliable bucket of bolts, I've got a few of those. <laughs> so let me just, I'm just going to rattle through a few. These are a few that I found. Make the case, but they all—I've dismissed these three already. Um, but there is one that I think. Oh, no, I'm not sure. Um, so I found a 2009 Subaru Outback, four-wheel drive, um, turbo diesel manual. Uh, the spec says it has an LSD actually, and this one came with a full set of winter tires, heated seats. I thought, here we go. It's a bit too expensive. One thousand two hundred thirty pounds. No, that's right. Yeah, thought, they, 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 they take a ground in cash, wouldn't they? I think so. I thought, here we go. This is the one. But it's been sawn for two years and it's being sold as spares or repair. So that's <laughs> no <good>. Run! <laughs> that's no good. Okay. And then I saw 2008 Skoda Octavia Scout. Yeah. So that's a four-wheel drive one. Manual, TDI, 175,000 miles. Um, yeah, probably right. I thought, here we go. 999 pounds. But then I read the ad, price reduced due to clutch pedal being sluggish to return, causing difficulty in selecting gears, particularly reverse. Again, uh, no. Because you're right, wrong. you cannot be let down by your winter car. 
No. I mean, all these cars you're talking about, um, you know, they're on my sub 5K list. I mean, a Scout and an mm. Outback are, are cracking ideas, but yeah. not for less than a thousand pounds. They're, they're too cheap, aren't they? Yeah. So the last one that I found, <laughs> again, I've dismissed it already. 2006 <laughs> Nissan Murano with the 350Z engine. <laughs> it's got that three and a half litre V6 oh, with 230 horsepower with a CVT gearbox. Um, oh. but four wheel drive heated seats what were you saying quid. about them having to be nice to drive 1200 quid but yeah. one, one cylinder isn't working so it's a V5 <laughs> <laughs> one set of V5 <laughs> so yeah okay so, so, so can we say can we say that we have established that you can't spend less than a thousand pounds on a decent winter car yeah so the only one that came close was a 20 year old Audi A4 3 litre V6 petrol manual 220 horsepower four wheel drive 153,000 miles, run on V-Power. I love that detail. Um, heated seats, 1,350 quid. So that's close, but who Is it knows? a Cat or...? No, no, no. That's not I bad. I mean, I just... It's not bad at all, but it does sound... I think you, I, I think if you went to see it, you'd find out something you didn't already know. Probably. Probably. Um, I'd, just, I'd just be, as I, as I said, you just don't want to be, whatever you get into, it just needs to, and, and actually, which is why the cars that I've chosen for less than 5K aren't, because there are any number of full-size SUVs that are ancient and got a bazillion miles. Oh, on loads, that that's right. There are yeah, loads. But I, 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 I haven't tried to chosen any of them because no. I'd just be scared of them. And also, one big bill and you have to write the car off. I think, actually, the single most important attribute of a winter car is that it gets you there. Whether that means... Yes. It has the the grip and the traction that you need to navigate a an icy snowy road, or that it's yeah. reliable. It just has to get Absolutely. you there. It has to get you there. Mm. That's that is job one, isn't it? In one piece. So, have you got any candidates for a thousand pounds, or did you just decide to? No, go for I didn't tires? even bother. I I, I I I I had a look, and I just thought this is not a sensible amount of money to be recommending to people who kindly listen to this podcast should be spending on a on a car for those purposes. No, no. Okay, all right. Let's get up to five thousand pounds then. And, and, and unless unless it's a it's a recreational thing, mm. um, which sort of it lives in the shed and it only comes out when the snow comes down and you, you know, and you know without it you can't go and get yourself a pint of milk. Um, yeah. Then, then or, or, or you use it for letting your kids drive around a field if you happen to own a field or, or, or whatever. But no, not as a not as proper transport. Absolutely not. Okay, five thousand pounds then. A bit more sensible. I've got I've got two absolute crackers here. Go on, absolute crackers. Okay, number one, and, and, and these are these are sensible cars which can be bought in good condition and which really shouldn't let you down. Um, Duster. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I've never driven yeah. one. Are they good? It's good cars. Yeah. Four wheel drive. Actually, most dusters aren't four wheel drive, so you need to be you need to be careful that you kick, you, you tick that box. Mm. I've always been actually all the you know, people just make jokes out of them. I went and did a <laughs> I went and did a job with a Sandero uh, a year or two ago where we went and did a supercar shoot. We took yeah. it off into the mountains, um, and, and and I just what it, and it was sort of an, an examination of the nature of fun and how much can be derived just from the environment that you happen to be in, the fact that you've got no other purpose than to enjoy yourself. Um, and I concluded that as long as the car is actively not unpleasant, you can have a huge amount of fun in almost anything. And there is nothing unpleasant about mm. a duster. It's very cheap, um, but it is so supremely fit for purpose 
Um, and if you spend four grand, you'll get a really nice one. It'll, you know, it'll have four-wheel drive. It'll get you where you're going. It'll have enough equipment. And you'll never have to worry about it because, you know, the technology is frankly so old on it. It's been proven a million times over. And I just think that's a, I just think that's a really smart, not, not literally smart, sensible, I guess, choice for, for that kind of car. Well, the other thing is, it'll be on skinny little tyres, won't it? And once you've got some winters on, that's what you want. Oh, I think, yeah. I mean, a, a, a duster on winters. Mm. It's also, it's not heavy. Mm. People always forget. Weight is your enemy. Well, basically, weight's always the enemy, but it's particularly the enemy um, if you are, you know, lacking traction mm. because you're just giving your tyres more work to do. Um, so it'll be light. It'll be on skinny tyres. It'll have ground clearance. You know, just terrific. A Panda 4x4 would be I mean, similar, wouldn't it? Well, see, funnily enough, there was that, that's the other <laughs> car on my list. You see, I think, I think that there are certain circumstances uh, in which a Panda 4x4 on winters would go further than anything else. It would go further than any Range Rover or, or anything else. Mm. Uh, it, you know, I mean, clearly, you, you would run into ground clearance and this issues and that sort of thing. But actually, around here, when the snow is... Because what happens here, and that's what happens in most days, the snow comes down. The snow itself is not really a problem if you know what you're doing and you're a bit sensible. Um, it's when it's, people have been on it for a bit, and so it stayed mm. cold and it started to compact. And that's when it gets really, really slippery. And so you need a bit of ground clearance, but you need traction, and for traction, what you need is a light car, so your tyres don't have to work too hard, four-wheel drive, and winters. And what's the lightest thing you can think of, which also comes with four-wheel drive, which you can slap some winters onto, and it's a Panda. Mm. And you still see them in ski resorts, right at the top of the mountain. There they are. Yeah, of course. There's a reason away. for that. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. And again, bomb-proof mechanicals. Yeah. Um, well, lovely. I, hope, I, I think you're about to say something which I've got in my next category, but I might be completely wrong. I don't think I am. Um, Has it already come up on this podcast? No. I'm going to disregard okay, some fine. of my own advice here. And only because <laughs> I was surprised to see it in the £5,000 category. <laughs> Winter, may, sorry, snow, maybe not so much, but the rest of the time. 2010, Volkswagen, Phaeton. Three litre TDI <laughs> auto, four motion, so four wheel drive. 116,000 miles. Stick some winter tyres on it. I mean, okay. It's not going to be particularly good in the snow, is it? But on a grim, or, or, miserable... or, in, anywhere, or, or in anywhere which has, I don't know, ULES or anything like that on it. I mean, you'd never be able to drive it into London, would you? No, never mind that. I, I live a long way from London. Uh, but I think on a Monday morning, at 6am when you're getting in the car and it's horrible outside and you fire up the heat seaters, the seat heaters, um, the heat seaters. and, and um, it's going to ride beautifully, it's going to be quiet, yeah. you're going to be quite happy in there, it's going to be an extension of your living room. Uh, yeah, I, I, and you'll have that little blinking engine warning light <laughs> flashing away at you um, and, yes. you know, um, and then when something the does go wrong, the seat motor terminal. on the passenger seat yeah. You know, suddenly stops working, and then I mean, <laughs> I, I actually I, I had a brother who had a Phaeton for quite a long time, and he did love it. And, and to be fair, it didn't go wrong. I think it was almost exactly that car. Really? And he bought it for buttons, yeah, mm. um, because you, yeah, because you can. I think it's a really interesting choice. Okay. Um, can I give you a slightly more but, sensible one? Yeah. Two thousand six Alfa Romeo one five nine, three point two V six Q four with the four wheel drive manual. 70,000 miles. The ad says everything works perfectly down to the, heat, the seat heaters, which is fairly Honest remarkable gov. for a nearly 20-year-old Alpha. 
Yeah, that's the problem, isn't so it? So he's honest. That means it's all about to go wrong, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I just, I just, okay. Be honest with me. So you go, go and buy that car. Yes. Would you trust it? Mm, you're not going to, are you? You're going to worry. You're going to worry. Yeah. That's the one thing you, you, you know, if this car is going to make you worry, then it shouldn't even, uh, to me, it shouldn't even be considered. Because as, as we said, I think you're absolutely right. Numero uno consideration is that you don't have to worry about it, mm. that it's going to start, mm. that it's going to get you there. Mm. Um, I'd worry about it. And, in, and even if I was wrong to worry about it, even if it turned out to be okay, doesn't actually matter. Because it's not the fact that yeah. it goes wrong. It's the fact that you're worrying about it going mm. wrong, which makes it a poor choice. You have to be able to trust it. I agree. Yeah. However, a V6 Alfa Romeo... There's yes. something, something little bus under that. your bonnet. I mean, I, I, I can absolutely see the appeal. <laughs> I bet you'd find um, a, I, you'd find an Alfa Brera for the same money as well. I'm sure the coupe. <laughs> oh God, I'd much rather have the one five nine. <laughs> I'm a huge Brera fan, I'm afraid. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's double the budget. 10 grand. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. Do you want to so start? I've gone non-four-wheel drive here. It's the only one. Um, so I, I'm definitely going to need a set of winter tyres for this as well. Um, but I found a 2010 BMW 335D Touring. Um, and that's that twin-turbo inline-six diesel engine with 428 pound-foot of torque, which isn't what you need going yeah. through two contact patches, is it? But you don't have to use it all. So hang on. So, so you're going for... So this, is a, this is the best winter cars. We're meant to be, yeah, not well, the worst. I, I've, got, I've got winter tyres Okay, so, so if, you, if you wanted to specify what you really didn't want in a winter car, you'd have the engine at one yes. end, driving yes. the wheels at the other, with an enormous amount of torque but we're not talking. Use. We're not talking no an Alaskan clearance. winter, remember. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, again, this, this goes back to the Phaeton <laughs> thing. As long as it's not icy and snowy, which I <laughs> admit it, it, it yeah. can be in winter, um, that would be lovely. You have, I have to say, you have been altogether more, how can I put this, imaginative <laughs> in your choices than I have been. Can I tell you, I had one of those as, this is absolutely true, I had one of those as a long-termer. And I wasn't at the time living where I live now. I was living in a little cottage um, about six, seven miles away from here. And there was, to get to it, there was you had to go down a road and the first part of that road was a gentle rise and one weekend i took it down there before christmas the plan being to spend a fortnight down there over christmas because we also had a little place in town and i got to this gentle incline got about a quarter of the way up it 
it started to slip back down the gentle incline because there oh. was some snow and ice about. I parked it in the lay-by, and that was literally the last time it moved for a fortnight. Mm. It just stayed there because yeah. I couldn't. I literally, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't get it home. It wasn't on winters though, and if it had been on winters, I would have got it home without any problem at all. Mm. Mm. Gah. yeah, four hundred twenty-eight pound foot though. Nice. Yeah, and, uh, how, and so how, how, how much money? Ten grand. Nine nine. How many? How many miles? Ninety-eight. Okay, okay, so, so winter stuff so aside, for, that, that's for, a nice forget, car. For, i got to say, I mean, let's, let's forget we're doing a winter podcast here. That's just a nice, that's just a good car, isn't yeah. it? Lovely, That's yeah. just a good smoker, isn't it? Love that. Yeah, it'd be fantastic. Yeah. It looks in good nick as well. It's not a, an old rotter. Yeah. Um, but go on, 10 grand gives okay. a more sensible one. Okay, well, I mean, so, I mean, the one we've already mentioned is a Yeti. Yeah, oh, Ten God. Gr- that, that was very much on my long list, yeah. Te- a Yeti, okay, t- you, don't, you don't have to spend 10 grand on a Yeti. You can spend no. 4 grand on a Yeti. Um but if you spend ten grand on a Yeti, um, you know you'll get you'll get a young car uh, with all the bells and whistles on it. But but just going back to this thing about it, you'll get a car with very few miles on it with an immaculate service history, and it'll just be. And I, and I you know I can remember the Yeti when it first came out, and this was right at the sort of dawn of the sort of crossover SUV era. Just thinking, it's the only one that mm, i would mm. want to actually drive about because they do drive really well yeah um you know you can get a four-wheel drive one with a six-speed manual gearbox all the toys really really comfortable car um yeah two liter diesel engine indestructible i think that is if there was a real pragmatist choice among all the things that i've got on here that would be it because that's just the one which it won't be absolutely outstanding at anything, but it's literally, it is a car without serious fault. And for mm. that kind of money, I think it's, if, you want to, if you're thinking about spending six, seven, eight grand on one of these things, a Yeti would just be fantastic. There are lots of them about, so you've got lots of choice. No need to put up with anything a bit dodge. You can really go out there, do your research, get a great car, stick it on winters, and you're sorted. You're absolutely sorted. When they were brand new... <clears throat> Skoda did a launch event up in Scotland, which included some proper off-roading. And it had been wet and disgusting for weeks, so the ground was terrible. Um, The cars had winter tyres on, but they were otherwise totally standard. And we were going through really gloopy, up-to-the-axles mud. And the things just kept going. It just kept going. It was remarkable. So I know we're not talking off-roading, but... They've got some capability away from... Yeah, but, but this isn't an off-roading road. podcast, is it? Because if this were an off-roading no. podcast, we'd be talking about other stuff. It's about keeping going. It's exactly what you're talking about. Mm. It's just keeping going through the worst conditions that people are likely to encounter, which doesn't involve yeah. you know, disappearing into the scenery. Mm. There you go. Good shout. Really good okay. shout. Have you got another one? Or are we up in yeah, your no, I've got, I've got, I'm going to my turn to break all my rules. Go on, then. My mate Jules has got a car and i just love it i go in it a lot because he's very kind enough give me a lift back from the pub um in it and he goes absolutely everywhere in it and it's probably the sort of car you shouldn't buy but i think it is just such a fantastically fit for purpose machine and it is a 2011 discovery four with Mm. 195,000 miles on the clock and the Mm. thing with those cars is you hear all sorts of horror stories don't you um his just doesn't go wrong 
There's yeah. one particular problem that those cars have, which is known with their manifolds, um, but they are cheap to replace, and this, is, I think, has gone one. But all the problems that you kind of hear with transmissions and transfer case and that sort of thing, his just, it just, you know, and, and I think what happens with those cars is you get good ones and bad ones, and he's undoubtedly yeah. got a good one. And they are so, I just because they are, they are so authentic, they're not sort of trying to be fashionable or anything, um, and you just sit in them, and they just feel right. Everything is chunky. Everything feels like quality. It's lasted incredibly well. Um, and I know that it's heavy and what we've said about you know, heavy cars and going off-road and that sort of thing. So I, I do qualify it with that. And I would possibly be a bit worried about it. But the experience of that car is that, you know, he's had it. I think he bought it when it had done like 90,000 miles. And he's done 100,000 miles on it um, since then. And it's just, you know, and I know he would drive it to Switzerland tomorrow without even thinking about it. So, mm. yeah. Just go for that it. That is a great shout. That is a great shout. Um, okay, we're going up to 25 grand. This is where I get quite sporty. <laughs> you see, I don't... Well, okay, I've got, I've got something slightly... slightly Well, not sporty, slightly, slightly something alternative. To get us going at, at 25 grand, I'm, yeah. I'm going to first suggest the 2020 VW Golf R. Mark 7.5 to the facelift. Um, 300 horsepower, four-wheel drive. I, I, I used a pre-facelift. Mark 7 Golf R through winter a good few years ago lovely mm. lovely it didn't have oh, yeah. super sticky tyres on it so it always had grip and traction always um, they're not ludicrously heavy those cars they have lovely supple chassis so you're not getting mm. bounced about you know and they yeah. do find grip in the road um, ideal good cabin comfy seats heated seats I'd be yeah. very, very happy to knock about in one of those again. And, and, and also, just you know, as as, as we know, and as, as we said on this podcast before, they, 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 those cars are like peak VW, aren't they? These, yeah, yeah, these they are, are cars that were engineered with the budgets that they had before Dieselgate, before they had to pay to electrify their entire business. Mm. So, you know, the quality of those cars, your chances of mm. you know of, of getting in a car that's going to let you down are probably pretty slight. It's it, it's it's no surprise, is it, um, that you've just come out of owning a golf 7.5 i own a golf 7.5 and we're talking about a golf 7.5 um that that's yeah. that's not a coincidence is it uh, no. and obviously no, an not. r with four wheel drive what would you go dsg or manual i actually for the, for the r i actually prefer the dsg yeah um and also prefer... and for winter and, and for winter as well yeah yeah. yeah yeah just just just, 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 let, just let the computers think about it for you yeah i think that's a really Absolutely. good shout yeah all right, let me um, give you my second one, and then you can jump in. This one's a bit different, a bit riskier. 2003 Porsche 911 Carrera 4S. So that's a 9962. Um, four-wheel drive, manual. Full Hartec engine rebuild, less than 10,000 miles ago. 92,000 miles, 25 grand. I fancy that. It's not going to depreciate from there. No, it's I not. I wouldn't have thought. no. And with the engine rebuild, so presumably all the issues will have been yeah. addressed. It's still not going to be a cheap car to run. No, you're going to have to put a bit of money into it. That and is it'll true. have sod all ground clearance. Yeah. Um, yep. So not ideal, but actually a very imaginative choice. And for some people, they'll be thinking, oh, that's quite interesting, actually, because I don't really need mm. the ground clearance. And maybe if it's not going to depreciate, I could get the old man maths out and think well the money i save and it not depreciating i spend on running the thing spend on running the, yeah 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 that makes sense to me yeah um 
I'd, I'd really fancy that. I would really yeah. fancy that. Go on, let, let's have let's have your suggestions. Okay. So, so you've been really quite interesting and enterprising there. I'm going to be really boring now. Okay, this is I, just, I can't believe I can't believe I've turned into Captain Sensible over the weekend, but it appears to have happened. Um, again, I, I, I'm just thinking about what would I if I'm looking out the window, the bedroom window on a Monday morning, and it's absolutely filthy, and I just want. Mm to get somewhere quickly, capably, and without having to worry about it. 2016 Audi A6 Allroad. Yeah. With that stonking, what do they call it? The twin-turbo V6 diesel in it with 315 mm. horsepower. I had one of those yeah. as a long-termer. It was, it was absolutely outstanding. One of the best Audis I've driven, for the, particularly for those. I can remember we, I went and did the um, what do they call it? You know, the Three Peaks Challenge when you go and climb mm. Snowdon and Scarfell Pike and um, and Ben Nevis. Um, I didn't do it in twenty four hours because I had a daughter with me. I did it in forty eight, and it was altogether more fun as a result. But nevertheless, um, it was just the two of us, um, and we were just nipping between these mountains. Um, in you know, in quite often in quite bad weather in this Audi, and and also little things like you'd be going down some really narrow little lane um, on the approach to one of these places, and a tractor would come the other way, or a car would come the other way, and you'd have to take to the grass verge or just drive off the road completely, and everything would be so sodden. You'd be, you, in in, nor- in any normal car, you'd re- you'd actually be worried about getting back onto the road, mm. um, or going to go and I don't know park in some field at some festival or a point to point or whatever you're going to go and do and, and it just you know bit of additional ground clearance um winter tires obviously uh bomb proof mechanicals really fast quiet comfortable very sensible <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but that does the job just superbly doesn't it it does have you found it's 25 grand decent budget for one of those yeah, I found one here, which a 2016 car, 50, 50k on the clock, um, 25 yeah. grand. Yeah. That would be yeah. fantastic. Okay. Yeah, I'm well into that. Go on. I've got, um, I've got another one, which is like, oh, you'll be glad it's slightly less sensible. <laughs> Go on. But I want one. Yeah. G-Wagon. G-Wagon. Oh, my God. Right, so what are you getting for 25 grand? You're getting a 30-year-old car. 30-year-old car? Yeah, so you're getting, oh. a 90, you're getting a 94 G-Wagon, a G, what do they call it, a GE300. So a chunky yeah. three-litre diesel. Yeah. Lots of miles on it. Um, but it's a G-Wagon. We, you know, they are just built like nothing else on earth, aren't they? Um, mm, mm. And I, I, you know, I certainly wouldn't worry about a G-Wagon anything like as much as I worry that anything else with that kind of age and that, that, that's, those, those sorts of miles. And I just think, I'd just be happy in it. I would just be so. I mean, you know, you can obviously go and spend 175 grand on a you know new G63 with, or you know, yeah. and, and, and you know, I just never ever would. But something yeah. like that, where yeah, where the price is, you know, containable at least, um, it's never going to depreciate. You're never going. It's never yeah. going to be worth less than that. Um, I think, and and also, you know, that it won't be, you know, a, a, a bucket of bits. It'll be a perfectly sensible. Um, decent car it won't ride very well uh it'll be quite noisy all those sorts of things but i offset that <laughs> with the knowledge that you're in a g-wagon and you're basically yeah. driving the coolest off-roader there's ever been some mud and snow tires yeah yeah and then that'll go you know, everywhere yeah with your three diff locks yeah. you'll be absolutely tip top in that yeah you're not going to worry are you no good shout 
Right, yeah. we've got one more price category. Uh, I've actually got two because, because I, think, I think we need to go over 100 only because otherwise I can't have one car. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do 100 grand then. Um, I'll give you mine. Uh, we only drove one of these for the first time a few weeks ago and you wrote about them in the group test that we did, the BMW M3 Touring group test um, up against your old now departed M340i long-termer um, but my nomination is the Alpina B3 Touring X-Drive. I'm sort of, sort of in two minds about this, actually, because it's got 500 horsepower thereabouts. Do you, what's going to happen if you stick something like that on winter tyres? Is well, that going to be problematic? No, I don't think it's it will. It's got four-wheel drive. It's got four-wheel drive. Um, mm. uh, it's, quite, it's quite soft. Uh, I mean, yeah, the problematic is, is ground clearance, isn't it? Um, those cars, mm. they have side skirts and they have... Um, quite a low chin spoiler, that sort of thing, and I'd be you know, I, I'd be worried about damaging that. Um, but it's going to get it's, it's going to get you where you want to go. Um, so I'm you know, I'm, I'm choosing. I, yeah, I accept those shortcomings. I'm choosing it because actually, for an, a year round everyday car, particularly for a family, I don't think there's anything I would choose over one of those. Um, they look fantastic. They oh, but, like yeah, but, but we're not talking year round, are we? We're not. We're not. No, I know. Um, but this, uh, just sort of generally speaking about the B3 Touring, yeah. they, they're great to drive. They are super comfy. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, quiet, good seats. Yeah. Great cabin. Yeah. I, I'd actually, as a family car, there's nothing I'd rather have. Yeah. I am. Um, okay. So this is my sort of choice in this category um, because they are, they are now under 50 grand and I am quite tempted. You can get a new Defender for less than 50 grand now. Mm. Um, yeah. it'll get you a car with a two litre diesel engine in it which is probably the engine that you want in it um, and I just think they are such a return to form for that company mm. it's, it's, that is a company who suddenly realised I mean in many ways it's, and I've said this before there's nothing new in this, uh, in this thought that it's, it's a replacement for the, for the Discovery 4 uh, that I was talking about earlier mm. Um, and absolutely not the Discovery 5, um, which is, you know, a slightly strange car in its, in its positioning. Um, and I just love that, that chunkiness, that sense of um, identity, uh, the fact that it works so well. And, and now that, the, you know, they finally got the infotainment up to date and that doesn't cheese you off every time you get it anymore. Um, I just think that those cars are... Are terrific. Um, I'd probably I'd want a short wheelbase right up to the moment. I bought a long wheelbase one mm. Um, mm. just because you know the shorts are. I mean they're hilarious, and people may remember that we ran um, a short wheelbase Defender ninety um, for the intercooler. In fact, you and I both had it for a while, yeah. and it was it was a fun thing and it looked amazing. But it just ultimately didn't work anything like as well as something right. which you know with you know with five doors and you know and rear seats you can actually sort of properly access so um and you know i live in the absolute middle of nowhere and sometimes you wake up in the morning and even through the curtains you can just tell the light's slightly different and you throw back the curtains and it's suddenly a winter wonderland out there mm. and whereas with almost anything else i'd be thinking oh dear if i had one of those outside i'd be thinking whoopee Mm, let's go they are fantastic i I had a look at one or no i i idly thought about defenders when buying our new family car we got a nearly new three series touring in the end actually the defenders were more than i wanted to spend but 
there is still something appealing about those. And, really and also, is. you know, the running costs will, um, you know, will even with a two liter diesel, it, it, it ain't going to be cheap to run, is it? No, no, it's not. It's not. Um, okay, so you wanted to do a no. Um, what phrase am I looking for? Money, no object. Yes, money, no object. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and I think I know what you're going to say. You know exactly what I'm going to say. No, you know exactly. Well, of course, you do. No, no. <laughs> Or, I hadn't even thought of them, but goodness me, you're absolutely right. I mean, I mean, without a second thought, or actually, and this absolutely amazed me, um, I drove a Storato a week or oh, two yeah. ago. Mm. Go on. Possibly the best Lamborghini I've ever driven. Amazing, isn't it? I mean, I was just... Comp- I, 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 I've... Sorry, this will sound incredibly sort of blasé and that I get leaping in and out of Lamborghinis every 10 minutes. And, you know. But actually, because there was a load of other stuff there, you know, all of which required each amount of I hadn't thought that much about it. I just thought, oh, it's just a sort of mm. you know, jacked-up hurricane. Oh. But actually, uh, let's just go back to the Dakar because the same reason the Storato is so good is the same reason the Dakar is, is because they haven't got... You know, they're not cars which are endlessly chasing grip. Um, and mm. because they've got a bit of sidewall and they've got a bit of um, give in their suspension and they're slightly higher up. And so they, they, they roll a bit more. And what that actually provides you with is feel. You just feel connected to the road in a way I'd kind of forgotten cars like that could feel connected to the road. Mm. And if you had a Dakar with all that extra ride height on winter tyres... Um, I would have it completely stealth. I wouldn't have any of the uh, liveries no, no. on it or anything like that. I would just, you know, I'd just have it in, you know, gentian blue or whatever. Um, I wouldn't, I'd try and get it debadged. I wouldn't, I would, they, to me, I'd want there to be as little sign as possible. But on those Pirelli and Pirelli Scorpion tyres, um, you know, what surprised me was because I'd, I'd only driven it in wherever we went to drive it on the little OAE, I think we were in Morocco. Um, and it was very difficult to tell on those sort of stony, pebbly roads you get out there what the ride quality was like but actually um in the uk the ride was you know more than good enough um and it just felt so nice to drive um you know even when you weren't you know off-roading in it or trying to drive it fast just driving it down you know a nice dry road um it just felt lovely and I don't know whether it was, you know, these cars are sort of, they're thought of, aren't they, as sort of niches as mm. kind of slightly sort of, you know, comedy outlier cars. But actually, I think there's a really serious lesson to be learned from them, mm. um, particularly for people who just love to drive, about the advantages that, um, you know, slightly softer setup with slightly narrower tyres um, can do just in terms of what they feel like to drive. They are, you know, they are completely brilliant and money, no object, absolutely without question, Dakar. That's fascinating, and I um, I haven't driven the Dakar or the Storato. I, w- I will drive a Dakar soon, but I mean it's great that the I, the fantasies of hammering through the desert over dunes or a, you know a gravel road. Not many people are going to do that really because those cars are still worth a lot of money. Um, it's the bit that's intrigued me is what they are like to drive on the road mm. with those tires that are not fully optimized for gripping the dry with higher ride heights. Softer yeah, but suspension, you, but you know, and, but at the same time, you know, they, they they've got a you know Pirelli Soto Zero homologated for that car, yeah. so you don't have to have the Scorpions. You can no, just no, put no. it on. You just you, put it on I'd, winters. I'd have the winter. Yeah, that's why yeah. I'd have. Yeah, and I I just suspect you get a bit more body movement. Um, they don't feel so planted and hunkered down. 
which can make a car feel like it's totally unimpressed with your efforts. Yes. Um, so I, I love the idea of a Dakar. I, I really must get my get myself in one as soon as possible. Um, winter cars. What are you going to be driving through winter? <laughs> what, um, what, 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 what? I don't want to tell you what I'm going to be driving through winter. Oh. Um, <laughs> No, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to be driving through winter. Um, okay, it's, it's right. not the kind of it's not the kind of car that you would say was a traditional winter mm. car. Okay, um, well, no, nor's mine. Um, I've only a couple of weeks ago took delivery of a new BMW M2 long termer yes. manual, which is yes. not a winter car. Not a winter <laughs> car. Probably more of a winter car than what I'm going to be driving through winter, but. I have a theory about it. Anyway, I, 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 I will. Uh, I'll talk about this another day when it actually gets here because it's not due for a while. Okay. Um, but yeah, um, that's quite interesting. But actually, actually, I'll tell you what I'm driving through. If the weather gets really, really bad, I'll be in the Series Three. Series Land Rover. Yeah, I'm sure we won't get you out of it. Uh, okay. Well, I look forward to finding out what car you're actually going to be driving through winter when you're ready to tell us. Um, but we'll finish it there. We'll do a listener question now um, on the topic of F1, actually. Before we do that, though, remember just to subscribe to the podcast or follow the podcast. You're probably using Apple Podcasts. You might be using Spotify, and then there are a bunch of other apps that get used. But they all have a follow button or a subscribe button. It just means you can follow the show, follow the intercooler. You will never miss an episode that way, but it also really helps us. It really helps us to find a bigger audience. That's one of the main mechanisms we have of reaching out and finding a bigger audience and if we do that it just means we can do much much more with the podcast so please do that the listener question comes from josh stevenson do you think as fans of f1 we're too tough on the attitude of young drivers do we forget that these guys are often just kids when they come in they might be late teen years um god i think back to how immature i was at 18 19 whatever do we, are I wonder, we too tough, I, on them? I, I, what, tough in terms of their driving or their behaviour? Their attitude. So, yeah, behaviour. You know, we often see them, we often hear outbursts, particularly on the radio. Um, a lot of the time, they can seem petulant and brattish. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you know, so it certainly it happened, you know, with Lewis. It certainly happened with Max. Um, you know, we saw Lance Stroll pushing his trainer around, didn't we? Um, yeah. And couple of observations, slightly contradictory. But firstly, you know, we are in no position to judge the pressure these guys are under. Mm. Um, it is absolutely enormous. And I think that there are different kinds of young drivers. I think there are young drivers who are there because they are just super talents, Lewis's and Max's. There are other young dri- drivers who are there because they bring an awful lot of money to the business. Mm. Um, and, you know, the dynamic is very, very different. Um, and therefore, you could probably expect different behaviours from them. That said, it doesn't... You know, look at someone like Lando. You mm. know, I don't think I've ever heard him, you know behaving badly maybe you can remember instance i can't but you know i think that um i don't think that george has ever you know and okay they're you know they're quite experienced formula one drivers now but they've been around for a bit and when they first got in the business um you know I, i think when jensen first got into it you know so i don't think that it's kind of inevitable i think certain characters are predisposed to behaving that way but i think i think really we should try to be i think we are quite understanding um 
generally speaking um of young drivers um but at the same time you know they are formula one drivers it's their choice to be there they're adults um you know i don't think it's unreasonable that they should behave themselves uh, but perhaps it is forgivable when sometimes they don't mm. yeah i agree and actually when the sort of calmer level-headed young guys do emerge they really stand out because of it don't they and you've mentioned yeah. george in particular lando um i want to open this out to all f1 drivers actually and particularly their radio messages um, and how often do we hear drivers lose their temper? We heard it yesterday at the um, US Grand Prix in Austin. And even Max leading the race, he was really screaming down the radio at times. Often it goes uh, well over the top and it's actually not cool. Um, but those sort of more frustrated messages that we hear from all the drivers, I totally forgive them that because the pressure they're under is enormous. But I draw a parallel with road rage, normal road driving. We see it happen quite often. Um, and the, the thing is, when we're driving a car on the road, without realising it, we're at, we're at a heightened state of alertness, of awareness, because you have to be to stay safe, to stay aware on the road. And because you're in this heightened state, without really being aware of it, it takes only a small thing to tip you over into losing your temper. That's why people seem to absolutely lose their rag over quite minor, innocuous things. And even people who are calm and level-headed otherwise, I felt that myself, and it's because you're in that heightened state. Now imagine what kind of state a Formula One driver is in, particularly when they're racing, or they think there's a win on the cards, um, or they're struggling with something to do with the car. It's no surprise that they can be snappy and short-tempered or, or, already. Or, or that maybe their performances have not been those of their teammates um, and they know mm. their job is on the line um, and they've got their crew chief coming on the blur saying, sorry, mate, we need another half a second lap yeah. out of you. Um, even at the pathetically, incomparably amateur levels at which I've done <laughs> racing, I mean, I've had that call before and it's not nice. Yeah, oh, God. You know, because you're already going as fast as you bloody can. Um, yeah. And so, you know, you can, you know, you know, you are sometimes tempted to think, you know, you think this is so bloody easy, you try it. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I, th I think, but I think, I think there's a difference between behavior in the car. But I think, I think most things are forgivable in the car. I think they can be put down the heat at the moment. I think people who yeah. behave really badly in, you know, in press conferences or when they're out of the car, when they are, you know, when they don't have that excuse, when they are representing their team, I think that's altogether less forgivable, frankly, regardless of your age. I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Josh, thank you for your question. A good one. Keep your questions coming across and we'll do another one next week. Bye. Bye.